one of her favorite Christian words is, wow, blessed are you. She likes to say that. She likes to write that. Oh, she would tell me, oh, auntie so-and-so is so blessed. All her children are following the Lord. Or, you know, uncle so-and-so is so blessed. His son just got a scholarship. And then in her card, she will write, may you be abundantly blessed. May God give you the desires of your heart and may He bless you. You know, so she likes to use that word. And of course, she thinks that the great blessing I have is having her as a mother-in-law. Now, of course, everyone wants to be blessed. But what does it really mean to be blessed? Now, of course, there are common things that we can, you know, as Christians agree on. It is a great blessing to have health. It's a great blessing to be part of a good church. It's a great blessing to live in a stable and well-governed country. But what about the Christian who does not have good health? Who does not go to a good church? Who lives in Afghanistan? Is he therefore not blessed? So, what does it mean to be truly blessed? If you ask some Christians, and if they are honest, the picture of a person who is truly blessed that comes to their minds is someone who is at least middle class, who is financially secure, you know, good health, who has a loving family where all the children are high achievers, good school, good grades, good jobs. Uh, they don't seem to struggle with any serious sin. That The person is a respected member in a respected local church. Now, that's what many people would think, many Christians would think, but few would probably admit to. And so the question still remains, what does it mean to be truly blessed? Now, in its own way, our passage today answers that question. And so let's ask God to help us uh, learn from this passage and learn what it means to be truly blessed. Let's pray together. Father, please open our eyes to your truth. Please guide our minds and our hearts as we hear your word. Amen. Now, you refer to the outline. You see that uh, there are three points and, uh, you know, for once, the outline may be totally incomprehensible to some of you, but I've done that for a reason. Okay, because these are Christian words. It's not uh, common in our everyday usage, but these are Christian words. So, instead of just saying, Gabriel meets Mary, Mary's song, Zechariah's song, I've given you what the Christian church has called them for centuries. And so the annunciation is simply the announcement, Gabriel's announcement to Mary. The Magnificat is what Mary's song is known as. And the Benedictus is what Zechariah's song is known as. Uh, and they come from the first word in the Latin. So Mary's song, the first word is, uh, you know, magnify, I magnify. And so in Latin it's, you know, becomes Magnificat. And for Zechariah's song, uh, blessed be the Lord. And so uh, the first word becomes Benedictus. So that's the reason behind it. So let's look at the first episode, the Annunciation, verses 26 to 38. 
And we have seen this, some of us, a hundred times in Christmas place. And it won't be too long before my own Sharona will be dressed up playing Mary in a Christmas play. She'll get all excited. And I can imagine my son Elliot acting as Gabriel and having a really good time jumping out and scaring his sister. So the words of the angel to Mary alert us and remind us of the question that we are asking. What does it mean to be truly blessed? Because in verse 30, Gabriel says, You have found favor with God. And the word for favor there actually means grace. You have found grace with God. And in the Latin translation, it is translated something like this. Hail Mary, full of grace. And this is the reason why the Catholic Church uh, comes and points to this verse and sees Mary as someone who is worthy to be uh, revered and all that because she is full of grace. And the way they understand full of grace is that she is able to therefore give grace. If you are full of grace, you can give grace. But that's actually a wrong understanding because when the angel says uh, you, are, you have found favor, you are full of grace. It doesn't mean she's full of grace, but God has given her grace. So she's not so much the source of grace, but the object of grace. Mary is the recipient of grace. So the Catholic Church is wrong in that aspect. So why does the angel say that she has found favor with God? Well, because she is going to be mother of Messiah. Now let's see what the angel tells us about this child. Verse 31. The name that this child will be given is Jesus. And we know that Jesus means God saves, or the Lord is our salvation. And so from the name we are told what this child will do. And then in verse 32, this child will be called Son of the Most High. And verse 35, he will be called Son of God. These two terms are synonymous, Son of the Most High, Son of God. And so the angel Gabriel is introducing to Mary and to us for the first time in history. I mean, what joy Gabriel must have had in announcing for the first time, Hey, look, this is the second person of the Trinity. This is God the Son. Revealing that mystery to us. And this divine Son of God will be the one who will fulfill centuries of expectation. Centuries of waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled is now coming to an end. Because this Jesus, this Savior, this Son of God is the one who will sit and reign on David's throne forever. It's amazing news. It is amazing news that the angel is giving to Mary. But what's almost as amazing is the way Mary responds. I mean, look at it. The angel comes and and reveals all these great things. And Mary says, how will this be? How how will this happen? Because, uh, Mr. Angel, I am still a virgin. See, in contrast to Zechariah, she doesn't doubt. She doesn't She doesn't go, hey, give me more confirmation. She just asks, okay, but how is it going to happen? It's just 
as if Richmond gets visited by a lawyer. And the lawyer tells him, you are the long-lost son of the Hong Kong tycoon Nina Wang. And you're going to inherit $10 billion. And Richmond goes, where can I get the money? No, without batting an eyelid. So the reason Mary is able to respond this way to such amazing news is sort of explained in verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. In other words, Mary is a person of faith. She hears the angel's announcement and she receives the word from the Lord with faith. And so this picture of Mary is the first part of this passage answer to our question. What does it mean to be truly blessed? Answer, it is the person who hears the word of God and receives it without hesitation, without qualification. The blessed person is the one who is able to take God at his word to believe and trust him. The blessed person is the one who is prepared to base his or her life on the foundation of God's word. And so we should ask ourselves, friends, how soft is your heart towards the word of God? How soft is your heart towards the word of God? Now, a way of... uh, giving you a different angle to think about this, a way to sum up, a way to describe what this blessing is. Okay, you ready for this word? Okay, stop looking at my friends there. You ready for this word? The word is teachability. It gives you a different angle to look at this. Yes, great faith. Yes, yes, we all know that our minds may be, uh, uh, you know, seared towards that word really. But let me give you a different word to think about it. Are you teachable? When the person comes and he shows you something from the word of God to correct an attitude, a behavior, a way of thinking, are you teachable? See, it's very easy, right, to point the finger at other people. That person is so unteachable, but what about us? Are you teachable? How teachable are you? So that's the first episode. Now let's move on to the Magnificat, verses 39 to 56. So Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and it's a journey of about 150 kilometers, right? So this young girl, maybe 14, 15 years old, going on this long journey to see her cousin. And Mary arrives at the house and she greets Elizabeth, you know, hello, you know, cousin, I'm here. And Elizabeth responds by saying, Blessed are you. Blessed is the child you will bear. How did Elizabeth know that Mary was pregnant? I mean, did she see Mary's Facebook status? You know, that Mary was writing on her iPhone as she was, you know, walking. You know, yippee! I'm pregnant with Messiah, you know. Well, of course not. Uh, Elizabeth explains it this way in verse 44. She says, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. I mean, isn't that amazing? This this six-month-old fetus in Elizabeth's womb 
is able to tell that Messiah, his Lord, which at that time is less than a cm long. Okay, the, the, the fetus in Mary's womb, less than a cm long. The six-month-old fetus is able to tell that his Messiah, his Lord, has arrived and he is able to tell his mother. John the fetus is able to inform his mother that Messiah has come. I mean, isn't this amazing? What's happening here? What's happening is that God is keeping his word. Because in chapter 1, verse 15, John is said to be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. That's what the uh, the prophecy that was made about him. While still in his mother's womb, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the whole purpose is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Verse 17. And so, while still in womb, John the fetus is able to fulfill God's calling on him, fulfill the prophecy that was said about him. Now, let's see how this section helps us with our question. What does it mean to be truly blessed? Elizabeth in verse 42 says, Blessed are you among women. And Mary herself in verse 48, the second half says, From now on, all generations will call me blessed. And this blessing that they refer to, obviously, is the blessing that she has in being the mother of Messiah. Yes. I mean, what a great blessing. What? What a great blessing. But you see, it doesn't really help us. Because, I mean, half of the people in this room can't even enjoy that privilege of, you know, giving birth. And then, you know, uh, the rest of the women, let me give you this news. That unique blessing of bearing Messiah has been taken. It's been taken. None of you will get to enjoy it. So don't, don't hold out that hope. It will not happen to you. You will not enjoy that blessing. Okay, but don't despair. Because Elizabeth offers us a ray of hope. And she says in verse 45, Blessed is she, who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Now this points us in a different direction. In fact, it points us to what Jesus himself will later say. Don't turn to it, but let me read it to you. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus himself says this. Okay, uh, He was there teaching, and then a woman from the crowd, moved by his teaching or whatever, a woman from the crowd shouts out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And Jesus responds, Blessed rather. You hear that? Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey. So you see, it is not different to what we saw in the first section. That this is true blessing. Being able to hear and receive and believe the Word of God. So let me ask you, are you ready to enjoy this blessing? We're going to be looking at Mary's song in a few moments. Are you ready to enjoy this blessing in terms of hearing this Word, believing it, and entrusting your life solely upon it? Okay? Hopefully you are. Let's look at Mary's song. 
Now, I want to focus in on a major theme, a major issue in this song. Now, having studied 1 Samuel together, it should not surprise us because it reminds us of Hannah's song. Both Mary and Hannah are singing about this particular way that God likes to act. And we see it in verses 51 to 53. Mary says, She has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. God likes to work this way. Lift up the humble, humble the proud. This great reversal of values is something that Hannah was talking about, something that Mary is now affirming. This is the way that God has acted in the past. This is the way he's acting in the present. And this is the way that he will finally act. He will bring this great reversal about fully and completely in the future. And so if we hear this, we can continue answering our question, who is the person who is truly blessed? Is it the one who is at the top or the one who is at the bottom? Of course, the bottom, right? Because God is going to bring about this reversal. The one who is at the bottom will be lifted up. God will bring about this reversal. So why are we so obsessed with getting to the top? Now, let me clarify. Michael Wilcock, in his uh, Bible Speaks Today commentary, says this and explains it this way. If a great reversal of values is taking place, then it means that the people of God will prize what the world calls pitiable and suspect what the world thinks desirable. So if this great reversal of values is taking place, the people of God will prize what the world calls pitiable and they will suspect, they will be very suspicious of what the world thinks desirable. The world calls all these things as pitiable. Lowliness, weakness, uh, lack of influence, uh, humble circumstances. But the people of God will prize these things. Now, prizing, prizing these things doesn't mean we, we go out of our way, you know, go out of way to, to seek these things. Rather, it means that when it happens, when we find ourselves in weakness or in humble circumstances, we are able to acknowledge and see the value of it. We are able to price what is happening to us. We are able to see it for what it is. It's value in helping us depend on God alone and look to Him fully. Because there is going to be a great reversal of values, the people of God will suspect what the world claims as desirable. It means that we are not hankering. It, it's not driving us, this thing, what the world values. It means our decisions in life are not driven by the world's priorities. And so, if wealth and power and influence does come to us, if it does come our way, right, we're not going all out there seeking it for its sake, but if it does come to us, then we will look to God, keep us humble, 
and to ask his wisdom how to use these things for his glory. And if these things are then taken away, it's no big deal. It's no big deal because we are suspicious of them in the first place. And so while we have that power and influence, we are are holding lightly to them. We're not grasping them with tight-fisted hands. Yes, God has put it in our hands. He takes it away. It's no big deal. We can never take it or leave it attitude. Now let me illustrate it. Imagine there are two people, okay? Two people and they don't believe. They don't believe God is going to bring about this reversal of values. They don't believe that God is uh, acting this way in reversing things. So one person is at the top. He's at the top. He's got wealth. He's got reputation. He's got power. If you come and you take away any of that, what is he going to do? He's going to hunt you out. He's going to kill you. He's going to come down on you like a ton of bricks if you take away any of his power, wealth, and influence. Because he doesn't believe God is going to bring about a reversal. So he thinks that, yes, I've got to be at the top. That's the first person. What about the second person? Second person, again, he doesn't believe in this great reversal, and he's at the bottom. He's at the bottom, and he's filled with self-pity. He, he's, he's filled with an inferiority complex at his humble, his weakness, his lowliness. He is filled with despair. Let me repeat Wilcox's words again. Because a great reversal of values is taking place. The people of God will prize what the world calls pitiable and suspect what the world calls desirable. Now let's apply it to church. Now, I can do no better than to quote Philip Riken's uh, thoughts on this. He says, God does the same thing with churches. Nothing is more deadly to spiritual health than spiritual pride. Churches that boast about their ministry will be humbled until they learn to give all the glory to God. While churches that humbly go about the Lord's work will see lives changed by the gospel. May BTPC be the second type of church. Now let me apply it to the individual believer. And I want to apply it in a very specific way. I think just by hearing it, you have some sense of the application. But let me apply it in a very particular and specific way here. I want to gently, gently but clearly and firmly appeal to you. Okay? There is no need. Okay, listen. There is no need to put on a front. There's no need to pretend that everything is okay when everything is not okay. Because as the people of God who know this reversal is taking place, we we can prize the situation we're in. We, We can prize humility. We don't need to put on a front. We can go to trusted people, share with them what's happening, and ask for help, ask for prayer. We don't need to to strive and pretend to be at the top, everything's okay, spiritually speaking, we don't have to. You don't have to put on a front, you don't have to pretend. 
And one, another even more specific way of applying this is if Andrew and I call you, if we SMS you, don't ignore us. No, it's not funny. It's not funny because I have, I have had countless experience when I can see that this brother is struggling with something. And I call him or I, or I give him a text. But because he wants to hold on to that being at the top situation, he doesn't want to share it too shameful or, or you know, feel judged or whatever, so he doesn't reply the SMS, doesn't reply the phone call. Can I appeal to you? Don't do that. I'm not trying to sell you anything. We're not trying to sell you. We don't want your money. We're not trying to sell you. Not, not making you buy anything from me. We care. We love you. There's no need to hide. Okay, do you hear that? Now, some of you are not in a situation, but I say this for the future going forward. Reply the phone call. Reply the SMS. There's no need to hide. You can prize the situation. God will lift you up in His own time and way. So far, friends, we have seen that a truly blessed person is the one who believes, one who accepts God's word. It is the person who is not proud, the person who is humble enough to know God has to do it for me. I look to God alone. I am completely dependent on God. Now, why? Why is this the person? Why is this sort of person the one who is truly, truly blessed? Why is it this sort of person who is truly blessed? Well, the answer is in the third section, in Zechariah's song, the Benedictus. Now, Zechariah, filled with the Spirit, his mouth is open again, and he, he proclaims, he sings this song. Now, we only have time for me to point out to you key points in the song. Okay, so the first thing is, Zechariah praises God in verse 69. Verse 69, because God has raised up a horn of salvation for us. God has raised up a strong Savior. That's what horn means, a strong Savior for us. God is fulfilling His promise and purpose to save. And then secondly, because of God's great salvation, it means this for the people of God. In verse 73. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. And hear this. To enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Let me read it again. Because of God's salvation, Zechariah can say that we are now enabled to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. Now, if you are a Christian here and you are not moved by that promise, if, you are, if, this, if this, the words of Zechariah here does not lift your heart and cause your heart to expand with, <laughs> with wonder that this is possible for you, then I have serious questions. Because you look at what, 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 what can compare to this? You look at a highly paid job, 
in a finance company giving you five, six figures a month, whatever. And you look at this, being enabled to serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness all our days. What great blessing. What great blessing. And, and how is it? How is it that we can be holy and righteous before God? Well, verse 77 tells us. Verse 77, because God's salvation is all about the forgiveness of our sins. God clears away the infinite gulf standing between Him and us. Clears it away so that we can be brought together with Him, we can be reconciled, and so that we can be holy and righteous and serve Him without fear. So why is a truly blessed person the one who will believe, the one who is humbly dependent on God? Because that's the sort of person who will hear the word and accept the word of salvation that God is bringing. He will hear that his God's salvation has now come in the person of Jesus. This person is the one who will humbly depend on God alone and receive that word, receive fully all that Jesus is and will do for him in his place. Receive that salvation. Receive this blessing of forgiveness of sin. Receive this blessing of, of, of now being enabled to serve God. Being in his presence in holiness and righteousness. That's the sort of person who is truly blessed. And so friends, can I, from the bottom of my heart, wish each and every one of you, may God bless you.